Welcome back to what is our fourth Sunday in our series, uh, looking at um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians found in the Bible, um, and our series is called Identity. Last week, uh, we had a look in chapter two of Ephesians, and specifically, we had a look at how we are united by the grace of God. And this week, uh, we're going to be moving into chapter three. It follows chapter 2, so it seems logical, doesn't it? Yep, good. So we're going to be looking at chapter 3 of Ephesians. So let's just jump right in. Um, And here we find that Paul starts by explaining his situation. So he actually explains uh, why he's a prisoner. So let's just jump right in. So Ephesians 3, verse 1, says this. When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles... Now, this asks the question, what is Paul actually thinking of at this point in time? What is Paul thinking of? Well, he actually told you in the last chapter what he was thinking of and it really helps us to understand why he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, why that phrase is so important. And it comes from Ephesians 2.19 and this, this will help us understand what Paul is thinking of. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So as Paul is thinking of this notion, is thinking of what it means that the Gentiles and Jews, they're no longer strangers, they're no longer separated, they are part, they are citizens, not just people of, but citizens of God's family, God's holy people. Members of God's family, he's thinking of this. And because of this, he is a prisoner. He's physically a prisoner because he wants to see the good news of Jesus Christ go out to all people. He is challenged that that is what is happening. See, Paul has been preaching about Jesus not only to those of the Jewish background, but to those from all backgrounds, the Gentiles. And because of his preaching, he's actually become that prisoner. Let me just give you in a nutshell what happened. So Paul has been travelling around, um, preaching at various churches, establishing churches, um, encouraging the church, um, and and getting involved. And really, people have been coming to faith, coming to Jesus Christ, and they've been from all walks of life. They've been from all backgrounds. And he's been going around to the rest church and been collecting back an offering to help the church in Jerusalem. And as he's travelled back, he's actually got a couple of Gentile believers who are non-Jews, Greeks, actually. And, and he comes into Jerusalem and he um, comes and sees the, the local church there and they're hearing lots of grumblings about Paul, uh, the way he's preaching and not necessarily requiring everybody to adhere to Jewish principles, but actually saying that the message of God is open to everybody and there's this whole kind of feeling of, of anger starting to well up amongst the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so they suggest, the church suggests, he, he goes along and, and, and comes when a couple of men are going to be presented to the temple um, for their service there and... Um, 
they're about to take their vows of service there and uh, he comes along and does that except all of the other people think that he's brought in these non-Jews into the temple and they get irate because they think that he's brought people who are not meant to be there there and that is in the essence what Paul has been all about. He's bringing those who have been cut off back in. And then they, you know, they arrest him and hand him over for a bit of a trial and, and then the, the Roman authorities kind of hear of this and they, the, the Roman authorities get involved and, and then he's being beaten and then he says, well, would you be beating a um, Roman citizen? And they suddenly stop and go, hang on, no, I shouldn't have done that. I should have actually asked and inquired and found out um, because citizenship has incredible benefits and privileges. And eventually what Paul does is he, he appeals that he should be tried in Rome and he ends up being a prisoner in Rome. And then this is where it is thought and understood that he's writing to the churches, and especially here in the church in Ephesus, explaining and encouraging them in their faith and helping them to get some of their theological points quite just right. And so he's starting to write and he goes... He goes, and when I'm thinking of all of this, that, you know, that I've been preaching to both Jews and Gentiles, and you've been coming together, you're all citizens together in God's holy family, um, and I'm a prisoner because of Jesus Christ, for the benefit of who? For the benefit of those outside of the Jewish faith, for everybody else, for the Gentiles. And that's how I'm, I'm there. And so he then suddenly goes, hang on, I'd better explain this. I'd better explain why, you know, why this is so important. And so he comes along and he starts to explain why he's been imprisoned. It's benefit of the Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know that God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plans to me. And as you read what I have written... You will understand my insight into his plans regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. And you'll find that what Paul does time and time again is he says both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news shared equally and the riches inherited by God's children, both are part of the same body. Time and time again, he talks about the unity in Christ of everybody. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessings because they belong to who? Because they belong to Christ Jesus. It is through Christ that everybody is united. It is because of this because of Paul's message of unity in Christ to all believers, that he is imprisoned. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by actually spreading the good news. So he goes out and tells everybody the good news of Jesus Christ, that you can become a citizen of God's family, that you can become part of that family through accepting Christ Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. 
Then he goes on to say, and he starts talking about himself, as though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And notice what, he, what, he, what he's doing here. He's putting it into this bigger framework, in a larger context. He's talking about that it is the God of creation. It's the God of, that the Jews have been worshipping for so long. It is the same God. He doesn't want to unlink it. He wants to say it is the same one. And this is the completion in Christ. And everybody can have a part of what God wants for them. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom, and I hope our church can be seen in this regard. You know, he's talking to the church in Ephesus here, but he's talking to each and every church, and he's talking to us today. So God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in all the heavenly places. This was his internal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. How can we come into God's presence? How do we boldly do this? It is through Christ. And we proclaim Christ in all that we do. And then he says, he wraps up this little section and he goes, oh, by the way, please don't lose heart. So just because you know I'm in prison, just because you know I'm in prison, because of preaching to you, the Gentiles, just because of that, don't lose heart. Don't think this is, you know, a bad thing. Because Don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you and you should be honoured. Isn't that a powerful statement, isn't it? It's a really powerful statement that Paul's doing here. He's, he's, he's just saying, here's my situation, you've heard it. And, and, and this is something that happens throughout history when, when people hear about the faith and the consequences of what faith may bring them to, that they step up and have to get involved. And getting involved sometimes has consequences of those people who don't want that message of Jesus Christ to be heard. And Paul's saying, I'm stepping up. And the consequence was I was imprisoned. But I do it boldly. And I do it in Christ's name. And I do it and I don't regret it. As a matter of fact, the suffering I have is fantastic because you will hear again and again and again about Jesus Christ. And then what Paul then does is he says, he then goes on to actually pray for the church. And this is where I want us to kind of really delve into this chapter of Ephesians for us to really kind of have a look at what it means for us. See, Paul prays for spiritual growth in the church. That just doesn't mean the building. That just doesn't mean a group of people. It means individuals. When Paul's praying for the spiritual growth of the church in Ephesus, he's praying for the individuals in those churches to grow spiritually. And when we hear that prayer for us again today, and a prayer that I hope that we hear for our lives of spiritual growth as well, 
It is for us as individuals to grow and a community together to grow together. See, Paul jumps in and wants us to understand not only his consequences of hearing and preaching Christ's message of love and reconciliation, that he is the saviour of all humankind, but wants us to hear what happens when we take that upon ourselves. But before I jump into that, I want to just pause for a second. I just want to put the brakes on and just ask you a couple of questions. Have we got any keen gardeners today? Yeah? Yep, there's a couple. Good, good, good. Excellent. So, well, I'm not a keen gardener, let me tell you that. Um, my idea of gardening is that it does it all by itself. Um, that's the kind, isn't it, you know? Um, that if the lawn grows, you've got to mow it. I mean, that's the kind of gardening if plants overgrow, then you've got to trim them back, don't you? But, you know, how, how many people understand the actual uh, biology and everything else in gardening? Do we actually understand, do, do we actually have to understand at the cellular level what's going on in order to grow a plant? No. Well, the answer is no, do we? We don't have to, you know, the plant's going to go regardless of whether what we think about it anyway. But let, let me ask this. How many people grow flowers? There's a good, good, I've got a few people that grow flowers. Have we tried to grow flowers, Annette? <laughs> let me, I just need to check. Most of the things we try to grow end up dying, you know, let me just put it that way. So Early on, early on, there you go, it must have been BC. Then we figured out, you know, that was no good for us. You know, if you're growing flowers, what do you need to do in order to feed and nourish those flowers? Do you, do you like, get the nutrients and pour it on the bud of the flower? You pour it on the roots, don't you? Why do you pour it on the roots? That's where it takes up the energy. That's where it pulls in those nutrients. It's not from pouring it on the spot where you want it to grow. So, you know, so you, let's go and do another thing. Instead of flowers, just say you're growing uh, a fruit tree. We actually had a fruit tree, a couple of fruit trees when we were living in Broken Hill. Uh, they were there before us and they're really big, well-established so we couldn't kill it. You know, um, but, uh, and, you know, it grew apricots. We did nothing. We got lots of apricots. It was fantastic. Um, that's my kind of growing of plants, you know. They, they do nothing and they give you something. So I like that. But we didn't water the apricot bits for the fruits. We had grapevine and we didn't water the grapes to get grapes. You water at the roots, don't you? It's the same kind of thing with our body and nutrients as well. You know, we've got a couple of people that lift weights in amongst us. Have you seen anybody around the place? You know? Caleb, Caleb doesn't lift any weights at all, do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> but see, the thing is, you don't feed like, you don't try and put stuff into the muscle, you feed the body and it gets distributed out. Isn't it? Good. But you've got to put the right food in. 
You're going to put the right food in, both for plants and for humans. You're going to put the right food in. If you put the wrong stuff, what happens? It withers and dies. Doesn't grow well. Not successful. So, so keeping this in mind, what Paul is doing when he's writing this next section to the Ephesian church, he's using an illustration that they can understand. They can understand the notion of plants growing and roots growing deep into the ground to establish themselves to get as much nutrients up to grow strong. So Paul then prays this prayer using an illustration that the people of the day would understand and we could understand again today for us about putting our roots down deep into to gain the nourishment, spiritual nourishments. So let's just hear what he says. And when I think of all of this, again, Paul's thinking about all of these things, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. What a wonderful prayer so far, isn't it? That you are going to have inner strength through the spirit of God that is going to come from the unlimited resources of God our Father who created heaven and earth and put the stars into space, the universe, all of creations. And then Christ will make his home in your heart. So when you ask Christ into your life, you, you, you said, Lord, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. You be my Lord and Saviour. You control my life. You show me what I need to do. You lead my life. And when Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, your roots, notice this illustration, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Where do you get your spiritual nourishment? Where do you get your nourishment to live your Christian life? It is because your roots grow deep into what Christ has done. You need to delve into the word found in the Bible. You need to read into, and, and the place to start, if nowhere else, is to read the Gospels, to read the story of Jesus Christ, to understand what he did and then jump into some of the, 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 the epistles or the letters to the church. And I love the letters of the church because you know what happened? You know why they've been written is because, because the early church was so excited about spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They wanted everybody to hear the message of Christ that they went out and they did it. They didn't go and do a theological education and have you know, four years away and doing all of this stuff. They, went, they were sent out and went and did, and, and they grew and they did amazing things, except because of the expansion and quick, quick doing things, there are a few things that those that did have some theological education, those that walked with Jesus Christ and understood what Jesus wanted and listen to God, said, we need to correct just a couple of little things here. We need to encourage you doing things. We need to correct some things. And so that's why we have the epistles. So they're really great to read. And then we read in the Psalms and we read in the Old Testament. And that Old Testament talks of what God's great love for the whole world is. But start with the Gospels. Start with Jesus Christ. Come back to Jesus Christ. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in talking and listening to God. This is how your roots grow deep into God's love. And as you grow deep into God's love, 
and it'll keep you strong. Paul continues to pray and says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Isn't that an amazing statement? To actually understand how big God's love is. You know, there's this social media post going on around the place and kind of, it's interesting because it's trying, to, it's trying to make fun of Christians and it's from an atheist saying, Christians believe in a God who created all of the universe, all of the galaxies, the infinite galaxies, all of these different places, all these different planets and stars and there are so many that you can't even count them and they think that their God wants a personal relationship with you. That's, that is absolutely correct. God wants a personal relationship with you because his love is so big, so wide, so powerful, so expansive, yet he has space for you, the individual, the one. God is personal and close. And Paul goes on and then continues on this prayer. And may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is a different power than what, you know, most people think. It's a quiet power. It's a power knowing that you don't have to strive to achieve, that you already have got the prize, and that's through Jesus Christ. You're not trying to make it happen for you. God is there for you. God is powerful and is there for you. You may not understand everything there. You may not understand the full mystery of what Christ has done for you, but you can accept it and you can take it on board and you will grow deeper in this as you continue to read the Bible, as you continue to reflect on the word found in the Bible, as you continue to pray, as you continue to meet together in fellowship, as you continue to meet together and worship together in song and prayer, as we come and support one another. So he's encouraging the church in Ephesus and he's encouraging us as well. And you'll be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God. I love how he ends this. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work with us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So God is going to do more than we ask, more than we think. He's already done it. He's done it on the cross for us. He's brought us life everlasting. And glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful prayer. What an amazing prayer. It's a prayer that says, where do we get our nourishment? Our nourishment comes from God. Our nourishment comes from Christ alone. He is our Lord and our Saviour. So let's just pray. Let's just bring ourselves into this moment and just pray together. Oh Lord God, we just ask now that as we've heard Paul explaining his life situation to the church in Ephesus, as we've heard Paul praying for the church, Lord, help us today to claim that prayer for ourselves. That we are the church here. That we are individuals within this church. Whether we are here present today or we are present online, that we are part of God's church. 
May we have the mighty power of God working within us. May this mighty power do more than we possibly could imagine in our lives. May our lives grow deep in the love of Christ. May we understand, may we know, may we love, may we be nourished by Christ Jesus our Lord and Saviour. Amen.